Welcome back, Bill Alderman. Hey, Craig. Good to see yes. you, sir. How are you? Bill, how, how, is the, uh, how is the nation's number one sell-side investment banker? I don't know. You'll have to ask him. <laughs> um, well, I appreciate the, the, the compliment, but um, we do have some brethren that are just as darn good as us, but we try, we try to do the best we can. Um, things are good. Uh, the market is as healthy as I've seen in a long time. There are, there are places that we'll talk about where people are having some difficulties. And so we got to be empathetic that everybody's not uh, in a rising tide. Um, but in general, for us as sell side MA guys in the middle market, lower middle market, uh, our practice is healthy and we're doing fine. A lot of people are telling me um, multiples are, are really holding up. Um, right. I've talked to quite a few private equity folks, investors. They're yep. out looking for some businesses. They're trying to get their, you know, they're trying, as like everybody, they're trying to get their number. Yep. Um, they've, you know, is, 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 um, I think the fears of COVID that a lot of distress selling was going to occur has not occurred much to the dismay of many people with money. What do you, what's your, what's your crystal ball telling you there? So Greg, uh, there's a lot going on there, right? I mean, you're asking about some very broad things that have to do with taxes and politics and pandemic recovery. So there's a lot we could peel back in that yeah. that onion, right? And it's a big onion. But let's start. Let's start with this. Um, the the sentiment, right? And there's been a lot of work done, um, especially at a Yale University in the past. Um, uh, decade uh, merging psychology with economics. You know, the field of economics when I was in grad school and when you were in school was you draw the charts and draw the lines and you figure out supply and demand. Um, the guys at Yale um, uh, have figured out that that human emotion right drives a lot of that that stuff. And it's it's humans are unpredictable and humans do things that computers can't really figure out sometimes because humans are crazy, right? Um, and Right, greed and fear, all of that stuff, but it's yeah. true. You know, markets for whether it's real estate or stocks and bonds, it's not pure science. There's humans right. involved, right? Yep. And so, is the stock market overheated? Well, good luck knowing if it's overheated. It's healthy, but mm -hmm. the stock market's up, right? Could be uh, post-pandemic, people are just sick and tired of being pessimistic, so they want to be optimistic. Right. Could be that the Treasury's printed trillions of dollars in cash, so it's really an inflation bump. You know, it, it, mm -hmm. the stock market is not really up in real value. It's up in nominal value. I mean, there's so much going on here. Yep. Right? But the equity markets are up, right? You watch television or you read the newspaper, which I don't know that anybody reads a newspaper anymore, but you watch, you read the paper on your phone, right? Right, and, right, right. Yeah, right, you read and, your phone. Right, you read your phone. And and the, the story is that um, the, the market is up, okay? The stock market is up. And that drives sentiment so is it because your house is more valuable that you feel richer or is it because your stock portfolio is is up you feel richer or you may not own a house or own any stocks and bonds but everybody seems to be happier so you feel happier right who knows right i'm not smart enough to know so your, your question craig is about the uh, equity market right and and valuations and so the, the conversation is that, that there, there's been a, a a team at yale university 
for a decade that's been looking at the combination of human behavior versus uh, pure economics. Mm-hmm. And when we, we were, when I was in grad school, when you, when you were young, right, studying school, you, the lines crossed in supply and demand and it all it was yeah. science. We've all learned that emotion and greed feed into this and humans are more complicated than little lines on curves. And there's been a lot of good economic research done to try and merge psychology and economics. Right. So the question is, are valuations up or why are they up, right? And it's not pure science. It's also human emotion. We're coming out of a pandemic. People want to be happier. People Mm -hmm. want to feel better. Treasury, though, has also printed trillions of dollars. So maybe the stock market is up for nominal reasons, right? Mm -hmm. That the dollar is less valuable. So every stock and bond is worth more dollars. It's actually not going to buy you anything more. Real Mm -hmm. power hasn't gone up. So there's a lot there. But, but the stock market is clearly up. The real estate market is up. Right. People are feeling better about things, and that is driving valuations up. And so from, from the team here at Alderman and Company that's doing you know, lower middle market M&A, we're doing a $30 million transaction for someone who owned a company for 40 years. What's going on in their mind? Mm-hmm. Well, what's probably going on in their mind is a lot, a mm-hmm. lot. But when they watch TV or read the newspaper, which they might not do anymore, they read their phone, they see that everything appears to be more valuable. Right? Right. The economy appears to be recovering. Values appear to be recovering. Mm-hmm. And so if you were going to sell your company in the past couple of years, but the pandemic made you pessimistic or whatever, you're going to come back to the market and say, there's a lot of reasons why I think I can sell my company today for a good price. And that, I think that's happening across a lot of sectors. We can talk about micro sectors in aerospace and defense that are not doing well. But in general, we're seeing valuations rise and we're seeing sellers and buyers coming to the market to get deals done. Where do you see the hot? I mean, uh, you know, obviously a lot of supply chain kinks right now. Um, so there, there, there are supply chain kinks, right? Um, clearly, but they're not affecting our market at the moment, aside from inflation. Okay. okay. So we have four deals in the market right now. Um, and and two of those, really three, are, are in the business of making things, right? Either pure manufacturing or near manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our clients is sort of in a little bit of distribution and one is purely in services. Okay. But okay. the people that are that are in services are seeing labor pressure. Yeah, they, they can't find someone to replace. In fact, you just placed somebody in one of our clients, which we'll talk about offline. Okay, but right. we're selling a company right now, and you happen to have placed somebody in the business. By the way, they're very happy with your placement. Good job. Okay. Right? All right. Um, but 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 the person that left left not because they were dissatisfied, but someone else offered them a lot of money. Okay. Uh-huh. All right, so we are hearing uh, clients of ours saying we have labor issues and and not only hard time finding people, we're seeing pressure across the board on labor rates going up. Right. Number one, we have manufacturers that are getting pressure or, 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 or feeling pressure because they're placing orders in their supply chain. And as you know, a lot of this is long lead time, right? right. You're not going to build parts on military aircraft by spot buying materials in the market. You're going to buy in advance, right? Right, right. Um, so we're not seeing our clients say, oh, last month we had a problem, prices spiked. We're not seeing that. What we are seeing is, Bill, we just spoke to our lead supplier for Inconel, for aluminum, for composite weave, and they are asking for, and in some cases, literally I've heard, a 30% price increase on our next order. Okay, 
that's that's really scary. Now yeah. it's it's still limited, it's still spotty, and everyone we're talking to is saying they expect it to be transitory. Mm -hmm. But my fear is that it becomes psychological, and when you're used to continual increases in prices from your supply chain, yep. you start to push that out to your customers and it becomes a cycle. That's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because like, you know, my background was economics in college and yeah, they talk about transitory inflation. And I think in aerospace and defense, I don't think it's transitory. I think it's here to stay because your suppliers are, you know, to get a new supplier for GE engines requires a lot of qualification and it's a it's a it's a year long or more process, and you've got to go through the you know, approvals and the FAA's involved. So it's not like there's a thousand suppliers out there all fighting to get into GE. There's you know there's three for every part, and they're all needed, and they're all jacking their prices up because they're getting hit with raw materials. But but ultimately, I don't ever see it coming down. It's not like it's oil where it's going to go up and down, up and down. I think that you know if if they're getting 30% over 2019 prices today, guess what? It's going to stay 30% over 2019 prices yeah, post-pandemic. And then next year, it's going to be 35% over 2019. So I'm not sure that we'll ever see a, you know, that, back, that huge volume discount that everybody, you know, thinks is coming. And back to the work that we were talking about a minute ago about psychology and economics, right? It was the at Yale, I believe it was Schiller at Yale, Professor Schiller, I believe is the name, yeah. who led the team at Yale that did all this work about the psychology of economics. And if you're busy running a business, right, and, mm -hmm. and you are a small company owner, operator, CEO with 100 employees and 30 million in revenue, right, you're, you're, you're also chief bottle washer, right? You are moving fast. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to sit around and read textbooks about long-term economic theory. You're too busy, right? What you're going to do is react. And right. so this supplier says, you got to raise prices. We got to pay more. And this supplier says, pay more. All you're going to do is try to manage that cost, be as efficient as you can, and get on the phone with your best supply customers and say, look, customers, I'm getting this pressure. I'll show you the invoice. you got to help me out. Mm -hmm. and, and that's going to become behavioral. Right. Yep. You're not going to say to your customers, oh, things look a little better in nine months. I, I will stop asking you for continual price increases. That's you don't have time to think like that. Right. No. Right. It's reactive. Right. So if it, if it becomes part of your psychology of your daily activity, of, don't forget to ask for a couple of price increases next month. Mm -hmm. it, it's not transitory. I am very hopeful, maybe too hopeful that it is transitory because you and I both are old enough to remember real inflation stuck in the system, and mm -hmm. they call it stagflation. Remember that, Craig? Oh yeah, yeah. Stagflation. It's it's not good for the economy. Inflation's here, but the economy's not growing. I mean, you see six percent inflation in October, and the economy grew too. That's not good. So okay. you know that's not that's not good at all. So I'm I'm um, not there yet. I'm not raising the white flag saying we're going to have meaningful inflation for a long time to come. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm right, but I might be yeah. very wrong that this is transitory. Yep. No, I got you. Let's talk about you. You got a couple of deals in process, smaller companies. Um, yep. We saw over the last couple of years. I mean, obviously, let's just talk about the you know. So Rockwell, you know, so UTC buys Goodrich, right? Then 
Rockwell Collins gets involved in that stuff and it becomes Collins Aerospace. And now it's Raytheon Technologies. And you've got yeah. this monster of a company. Yeah. In do they start to divest? Do they start to divest stuff? I mean, are they so big now that they can't get out of their own way? Do they start to divest stuff? Do they start to acquire more of the little guys and just take over, you know, become King Kong? What uh, What's happened well, in aviation aerospace on that regard? So I, I've developed this either mindset or theory. I don't, think, I don't think I'm smart enough to develop a theory, Craig. So I have a mindset. Let's say I have developed a mindset uh, in my own little universe that I live in, right? In my own little head. And um, this is my thinking about uh, the evolution of mergers and acquisitions in aerospace defense, which is all I've ever known. But I was also a history major undergraduate. And a lot of my thinking, critical thinking, was developed as a combination of being a history major undergraduate and then getting my MBA and being a finance geek in grad school. And the, the way I look at mergers and acquisitions and the formations of the RTXs of the world or the Boeings of the world or the Lockheeds of this world is that there are there there's this there's true invention, true invention. You you look at the robber barons of the of the late 1800s, you know, mm -hmm. the Carnegies and the Rockefellers, you know, the invention of fossil fuels, literally, right? right? The invention of the internal combustion engine, right? Yep. So if it weren't for the invention of the combustible fuel. Right. And the invention of mass production to make inexpensive automobiles. So if Rockefeller and Ford didn't come together on the planet at the same time, right. you wouldn't have had the automobile industry. Right. I mean, literally, these are the titans of the world. Right? right. If Howard Hughes was never born, would there have been a TWA? Would there have been a constellation? Right. I mean, these are, you know, tectonic mm -hmm. plates shifting. Right. And whether whether you look at Jeff Bezos or you look at Virgin Galactic and uh, Richard Branson or you look at Elon Musk and the new space stuff, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to look back in 100 years and still think, think these, these guys were the Howard Hughes or maybe not. But these are guys moving tectonic plates. Right. right. And, and you can also argue that urban air mobility and some other things where billions of dollars are flowing in and a very select handful of individuals is leading all the technology. Right. Mm -hmm. Pick your you know, George Westinghouse or your Thomas Alva Edison or Tesla. I mean, just people who change the world with their individual right. brains. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you have the maturation of industry. And so whether it's Amazon or whether it's SpaceX or whether it's RTX or Boeing, you have sort of these Wild West, brilliant, crazy in the old days, all men. Yep. But now, thank God, right, it's it's he or she. And yep. they change the world with their just brawn and brilliance. Mm -hmm. And you have all this activity, capital flowing and new technologies and mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it becomes a mature industry. And mm -hmm. so you close the loop with invention, wild west, huge capital flows, huge winners and losers. Remember, remember MySpace? Oh yeah. Remember AOL? I mean, come sure. on, right? Netscape. Billions just Netscape. evaporated, right? Yahoo. Yeah. Right. Billions evaporated, right? But there yeah. were winners. Yeah. Right. Then you have a mature industry. And I believe aerospace and defense. Not that we're not going to develop hypersonic weapons, because we will, right? right? Not that not that we will not invent composite aircraft, because we will. And new fuels, 
and maybe even new engine propulsion technology. It's all going to happen. But aviation, aerospace and defense is a fully mature industry, right? Mm -hmm. And so to answer your question about all this M&A activity and RTX and all the rest of it, when an industry becomes mature, it becomes slower paced, slower mm -hmm. to evolve, more bureaucratic, and the M&A activity is more about efficiencies and competition than mm -hmm. it is about technology, right? And so my view is that in aerospace defense today, unless you're on the true cutting edge, mm -hmm. you know, the radical urban air mobility, crazy mm -hmm. or massive change of the world, unless you're on that leading cutting edge, it's just all about a mature industry that's consolidating and trying to get a little tiny bit more efficient. Mm -hmm. And the Raytheon thing for me is just a, a bunch of suppliers were getting beaten up by their monopsony yeah. customer, Boeing, yeah. and they tried to get large enough so they could bounce, you know, their customer around instead of the yeah. customer bouncing them around. That's that's not it's not to say it's not good or it's irrational, but it's very different than the capital inflows to SpaceX or the yeah. Jobies of this world. Yeah, no, it's it's my times have changed. You know, partnership for success, Boeing beating up everybody, then the Max comes and then COVID comes and you know, Boeing is you know, shrunk down to their corner and they're getting beat up now. Um and it's, you know, it's it's going to be tough times for I think the guys in Seattle for a little while to come. Um Go back to build Boeing, right? Yep. Okay. And the and the the cutting edge he had and the idea of the 707, which changed the world. The world. Yep. Right? Changed the world. You, you, you take that to a, and, and forget the facts that the Max had problems. Let's leave that aside. Mm -hmm. But you look at the 787 as an airplane, brand new technology, billions yep. of dollars invested. But did it really change the world like the 707? No, it no. didn't change the world. It was a tweak. Right. The 707 went from going 300 miles an hour flying in the weather, yep. right? Yep. To flying above the weather at darn close to the speed of sound. That changed the world. Yep. Absolutely. And that's where I, yeah, you, you, you see all your investment dollars now. You, you, Joby, Archer, Aviation, Blade. Yeah. Blade. Blade. Right. It's all it's it's all outside of the OEMs. It's it's much like what's happened in the medical industry. The guy that sits over here in the office two doors over is a private equity guy in the medical industry. And basically what's happened in the medical industry is they fund these small companies and these small companies go through the process to get the FDA approval. And then Medtronic and Stryker and their whole goal is to get FDA approval. The stock goes up 10 times when Medtronic and Stryker buy them up. And I think you're starting to see that you're probably starting to see that cycle again. You know, you know, Gulfstream just came out with two new products. They're a nice incremental 3% change over what they had. You know, right. you know Falcon it's Jet's doing mature, the same thing. It's good mature, they're good airplanes. They're good airplanes, but they're not revolutionary. Right. And they are mature industries and they are parts of larger corporations and they are stable. And they grow nicely at eight or whatever percent yep. per year, and they give a nine percent return to shareholders, and yep. it's great. But it's a mature industry. Yeah. What's got you real excited now from the from the smaller middle market, small and middle market? Yeah. What are the little silos that get built? You see them all. What gets you really excited right now? 
So uh, I, I will say what 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 breaks my heart, okay, okay. is commercial aviation. That that and, and we are really a life cycle firm, right? If you mm-hmm. look at our clientele, for the most part, we are selling a business that was either founder created mm-hmm. or family passed along, and the and this last member of the family doesn't have children in the business. Mm-hmm. And they're selling the business. That, that's the preponderance of what we do, Craig. Okay. And as we look at our clients, the ones that I feel badly for are the 68-year-old, mostly men still, but now there are women, right? The 68-year-old client who's exhausted and, yeah. and just not happy. And they wanted to sell in 2018, but they put it off for a year and decided to sell in 19. And mm. by the time they're ready to get a deal done, COVID hit, right? right. And so now they're, they're two years into it. They've been laying people off. Thank God they got PPP CARES Act money, but mm-hmm. it's been a Debbie Downer from the get-go, right? Mm-hmm. And they're looking and saying, I, I, I want to retire and go play golf. And they can't. They just literally can't. Mm-hmm. And it's probably a year or so before they can get not a 2019 valuation, but a valuation where they're not going to feel like they got you know mm-hmm. kicked in the gut. And so commercial aviation supply chain is a really valuation wise, yep. it's a tough place to be. Right. So those guys, those guys I feel badly for, right? They, yep. It will come back and it will not be five years. It will be another 18 months or so and things right. will be good. But if you wanted to retire two years ago and you still got a year and a half to wait, that's a big chunk of when you wanted to be playing golf, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or be with grandkids or whatever you wanted to be. Other sectors that are doing well, look, the China threat is legit. Okay. okay. Now, am I worried that we're going to be in a in a hot war with China in the next six months? I don't think that's very likely. Right. But do I think we need to spend our money wisely? Okay. To to be in an active cold war with a new global power. There's no doubt in my mind that the stuff we're hearing on the news right now is legit. Mm-hmm. U.S. military brass. They are worried about China's preeminence and they're leapfrogging us on technology. Mm-hmm. I don't think they will but I think we have a lot of work to do. I agree. So that means that if you're in the supply chain for supporting those efforts, that means money's going to flow to you. Yep. Okay? So I think the defense market for countering the, the, the leadership, potential leadership threat from China, I think is going to lead to uh, uh, people being busy in that sector. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, business aviation, I, I know you have a large footprint in that marketplace. Uh, business aviation has never been this healthy in my lifetime. Yep. Okay. And every everything about it is doing well, right? You can't buy an airplane from a Cirrus to a Gulfstream. There's no inventory. Right. I don't ever remember that in my lifetime. Right. I remember back in the 90s when people were speculating on positions. You know, they'd go put a million dollar, two million dollar deposit down on a G4 SP or G5, G5, right. and they'd sell the position. And then the OEMs got smart to that. They're like, yeah, no, you can't do that. But that was yeah. crazy. But then we saw the the post 9-11 world where, you know, people are you know, like, what's the value of my airplane? Like, we don't know. What's, you know, the only value is what, what someone's got to pay for it. Well, especially um, after Congress went and beat up the uh, automotive uh, industry for flying corporate jets. That was a not a good day for the industry. Dumb, yeah. It's not good. So, anyways, but but so business aviation up and down the supply chain, business aviation is what we're seeing, very, very healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, and, and so you know, our view is commercial is soft, right? We have nothing commercial aviation in the market right now. And we had one property that wanted to go to market and we told our client, you know, and it's a very healthy, great balance sheet, no debt, lots of cash business, but it's owned by family where literally they, the family would like to exit the property. And we just told the family, look, you're going to have to wait another year and a half or so. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no reason that they actually can't wait. So commercial aviation going to be slow in 22. We'll pick up towards the end of 22. In a year, I think I'll be happier about that sector than I am today. Um, and the other markets are, are good. And you know, the biggest concerns I've got for our business is really macro. It's you know, is our government going to function relatively well? Are we going to have government shutdowns? Are we going to print another three trillion dollars without taxing appropriately to pay for it? Those to me are the drivers that that I'm worried about, and I'm relatively hopeful that our federal government will be able to function moderately well. Yeah, you hope. I mean, you hear all the discourse now. On the China thing, do you see, you know, a lot of, let's talk about the supply chain, aerospace supply chain. Yep. How much of that is coming from China? Yep. Does it start to get reshored or nearshored? And, and is there some benefits to some smaller companies to look at, hey, look, I mean, if, I, if I'm a private equity or if I'm a venture capitalist, am I looking at some of the Chinese supply chain and going, hey, maybe I can build a business in the United States to support these guys? So I think, I think for critical infrastructure, um, there, there's both mandate and um, impetus to onshore. Okay, so if you're in if you're in critical industry, if you're making you know PPE for the medical industry, onshore, right? I mean, we've learned our lesson, right? Mm -hmm. um, we got to be making ventilators onshore. We got to make protective equipment onshore. The, the defense industry has been ahead of everybody, um, I think, on this. Of you know, we can't be making critical defense components to counter a Chinese threat. With goods manufactured in China. China, that's exactly but, it. But you know th this concept of frenemy. We we've lived with frenemies for years, right? We built a space station with the Russians in the middle of the Cold War. Cold War, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know where does a lot of our titanium sponge come from, Craig? Right. I mean, titanium in this country still a good portion of it comes from Russia, Russia. right? And, you know, the F-35 and the F-22 have titanium in them, okay? So this, this concept of a, let's not do any business whatsoever with our, our enemies, right. that, it's, it's just, that's not that simple, right? But do I want, you know, electronic components in my most sensitive military weapons and systems to potentially have embedded nonsense in them from a Chinese supplier? Well, that's pretty dumb. Right. Yep. This is dumb. So, yeah, onshoring is coming. It's good for America. It's good for our defense. It's good for our economy. But, you know, the idea is that Walmart is going to source all their stuff from the U.S. and buy no goods from China. I mean, give me a break. On the other hand, that's 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 crazy, too. Well, we got you, you got to look at it. nobody wants to, you know, look, the, the, the refrain I hear is nobody wants to work anymore. Everybody's dying for people. And how do you reshore stuff and manufacture stuff if you can't find the people to produce it? That's a whole new political conversation. But that's, uh, you know, that's a uh, that's a concern a lot of businesses have. But I watched I watched the behavior just with my wife and I as consumers. Right. And, you know, you can argue that we're not we're not 
typical, right? But let's just pretend that we are relatively typical in our views of Buy America, okay? Mm -hmm. My wife and I wanted to buy some, some cutlery, some forks and knives for the house, right? And we said to ourselves, let's go on Amazon and buy some forks and knives, but let's buy American. And if it's an extra five or 10%, let's just do the right thing and buy forks and knives from America, okay? Yeah. We're not talking fancy silverware. We're talking about, you know, forks and knives. Forks and knives. Okay. There's one manufacturer in the United States left that makes forks and knives. One. Wow. One. Okay. And we bought their forks and knives and they were like 6% more than the stuff in China, right? And we bought it. There's yeah. one left in the United States, right? And if every American, right, were to say, I want to buy my forks and knives from this supplier, right? At 6% more than the Chinese guys, think how much money that company could make and how good that would be for the American economy. That's Absolutely. a silly little example, right? right? But I do think that there is something appropriate about Americans buying American goods when it's forks and knives and there's 6% more, right? Right. But if I have to buy towels and, you know, the U.S. made towels are 50% more than the Chinese towels, that becomes a hard decision, correct? It's, well, that's, you know, look, a lot of the American economy was built. You know, look, a lot of, you know, the American economy, quite frankly, has been built off China. You get cheap goods, you know, you, you know, you know people can leave. You can lead inexpensive lives because they can shop from Walmart and Walmart. You know, sources a lot from China, so it's been a good thing. It's just yeah, the political landscape is changing, or the the, the economic landscape is change is is starting to change. It'll eventually move. I mean, it's it's you know, China yesterday, tomorrow India. Who knows? Vietnam, Malaysia. Yeah, maybe it goes back to Europe. Maybe maybe Britain becomes more than a relevant country again and becomes a, a manufacturing superpower. I don't know, but. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to say Ireland, you know, certainly become a banking capital and a leasing capital. So, you know, you never say never, right? But I think your comment about onshoring, I think clearly in the military world, there is a, a strong push to onshore and especially get out of China, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's very clear. In terms of commercial aviation, you know, as long as Boeing is allowed to sell its airplanes into China and it's an open or relatively open free market, mm -hmm. right? I think you're going to see Boeing and its suppliers sourcing from China. But if China starts to put crazy taxes on Boeing aircraft and starts to build their own indigenous airplanes, then I could see some meaningful removal of production from China. Gotcha. Where's the where's the opportunity in all this for the small for the small guy that you you, you know the small guys that you talk to? I mean, is yeah. it just is it just becoming a great supplier of 10 part numbers to UTC and just becoming, hey, look, we make 10 part numbers. This is all we do. And you'll be with us forever. Yep. And is is that where the opportunities are? So back to this comment about the industry maturing, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're making a, a relatively commodity good, right? Mm -hmm. You're not on the pure total leading edge of, of the science, right? If you are a leading supplier of some kind of component on hypersonic test weapons, cost is not really what's ma what matters is it's the quality of your PhDs that are working on it, right? So let's take those people off the table, okay. right? Your, your scientists are working on battery technology for Joby, right? Take those people off the table. Mm -hmm. That's the cutting edge. If you're if you're in the mature supply chain, it's it's about efficiency. 
And so it doesn't mean you have to be the cheapest, lowest cost supplier per se. Mm-hmm. Right? You could have a really expensive facility in a really expensive jurisdiction with really high labor rates, but a really efficient production system. Mm-hmm. And Raytheon could say to you, you're our number one supplier because you help us be more efficient. But mm-hmm. in a mature market, and I really come back to this concept, in a mature market, it is all about efficiency first and mm-hmm. technology second. Your quality has got to be there. We're dealing with lives, right? Air, aerospace defense. The quality is not a debatable item. It's perfect quality or you're out of the market. So right. assume quality is there. Then the question is, is your mousetrap a little bit better or mm-hmm. do you make mousetraps better, cheaper, faster than the other guys? And my belief is in a mature industry, what matters to Raytheon is not, oh, you're a little bit better. You either meet the spec or you don't, period, mm-hmm. full stop. Then the question is, not are you the cheapest, but when I go to deliver my product to my customer, did you make me net, net, net more efficient than otherwise? Mm-hmm. You may not be the cheapest for me to buy, but in terms of the hassle, the handling, the on-time delivery, all the rest of it, you make me more efficient. That's what Raytheon wants from its suppliers. Gotcha. Do you see the little guys being able to compete in that market? Can yeah. they... Yep. Can they, you know, can they, or, or is it, you know, once again, there's this, you know, there's this fear of a lot of private equity coming in and they're buying and they're, you know, they're rolling it up. They're, they're rolling up a lot of your, your, your structures, manufacturers, your avionics people, your electronics, transdimes out there buying up everything is, you know, is the little guy going to be able to continue to compete against these bigger, um, you know, machines? So what I would say is it's actually no different, Craig, than my practice, right? Mm -hmm. So we're five people that do small deals, right? Right. And we've designed our delivery of our service to our clients. And you're no different. We've talked about it. I'm no different, right? Okay. You know, uh, there are investment banks with thousands of bankers, okay? Okay. We are a firm of five people. So how do we compete? Well, we target a market that is attractive to us, we're attractive to that market, and we are the best value proposition mm-hmm. in terms of product, service, delivery, cost. We mm-hmm. are the best for some people in the market. Yep. And we try to very narrowly define that and go deliver. It's no, literally no different for a supplier to a Raytheon or a Boeing or anybody else. If what you do for the exact thing you do, you are the best solution Mm-hmm. You're gonna win. It's, I mean, I hate to sound sort of textbook. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, I, I was just talking about yeah, you know, it's like the big yeah. You know, look, you you as a little person, you, you know, as a as the small guy, you find your little niche and you be get really good at it, and you just keep going. So you're really good at it. And the point is that if if, if 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 you're a little company trying to be everything to everybody, you are going to lose. That that is a losing game. Yeah. But if you're a small company, but you do something. Better than everybody else, whatever, however you define that. But you go to your customer, we keep picking on Raytheon and saying, Raytheon, I do this for you. There's no better solution for you in the world Mm -hmm. than me. And it's true. They're going to come back to you and back to you and back to you forever. So long Mm -hmm. as you do whatever you're doing for them better than anybody else. But if you're a commodity, right? If you're a pure commodity player in a mature market, Right. That is, I mean, the textbook says, and the textbook's right and not a good way to make a lot of money. Yep. So, yeah, we, 
one last subject. Yes, sir. Redwire, you know, just joined up with Bezos and Blue Origin to build a space station. You know, they're talking yeah. about building a space station. Yeah. yeah. You got Elon Musk and SpaceX, who's been doing, yeah. you know, like he's 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 lowered the cost of satellite launches by like a gajillion percent. Yeah. Um, you got the hypersonic stuff. You've got the electric stuff. What do you? What's got you really excited? And what's got you really excited out there? So my my personal view is that everything we're looking at that's cutting edge is beyond my lifetime. That's my personal view. Okay. And it's got to do with the science of weight and density of energy, right? And I'm not I am not a scientist, but but I've listened to and read some stuff that. This taking a battery and putting it in a 3,000 pound car so it can go 300 miles at 100 miles an hour is scientifically viable in today's world. Yep. But, but liquid fuels, whether they're car pure carbon based or whether they're synthetic SAF fuels, liquid fuels going through a turbine are probably not going to be beaten before yep. I'm dead. Okay, yeah. whether it's hydrogen or electricity or whatever. And so where, where my mindset is, is that this stuff is really cool. And, and the Elon Musk of this world and the Bezos are probably right because they're so damn smart. Yep. Right. But I can't see it. I am not advising anybody in that market. It's not my expertise. Like I said, your core competency, right? Cutting edge futuristic technology ain't my thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so let them go do their thing. But if you'd asked me, you know, 40 years ago, would I carry around one of these things? Yeah, I would no. say, what is that? Right. I'm not, I'm not, that's not who I am. I remember seeing the first, the first cell phone I ever saw was in 1991 in Hong Kong. And it was a guy walking down the street. And it was like, brick. it was a brick. This, Motorola brick. Yeah. He's like, wow. What is that? The guy like talking and having a right. good time. Like, man, that's crazy. Right. I mean, so yeah. my view is right now, yeah, how big is the market for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to spend six minutes in space weightlessness? Right, yeah. I, I, my brain doesn't do that. Who right. wants to go to a hotel room in outer space overnight for a million dollars? I, I don't get it. Right. right? My guess is that it's going to lead to other things. Right. And someday we'll be mining diamonds on some asteroid somewhere. I have no idea. I don't. I don't understand it. But my guess is that these guys are the Howard Hughes's. Of yep. the Bill Boeing's of the future, but I'll be dead and I have work to do. So I don't think. About <laughs> and you're working hard. So how are your deals coming along? Everything, everything, yeah. everything, everything moving forward? Yeah. I mean, there's five of us. We're working kind of hard every now and then. We're enjoying what we're doing, but the market is healthy, right? And MA, as you know, ebbs and flows. Right. Um, and right now we're in a spot where there's buyers, a lot of buyers and a lot of sellers. And so we're we're doing business. My my hope is that when when and if tax laws change and inflation may or may not stick around, my hope is that these macro factors will not change the market. Because right now we are in sort of a Goldilocks place mm -hmm. where if you want to sell, and remember, we, we focus on sellers. If you want to sell your business right now, aside from commercial aviation, pick up the phone, give us a call. We can sell your company, get you a good price. Right. And it's nice to be in that position because there have been times when, and like commercial aviation, hey, Bill, I want to sell. And you no, know, I can't sell you right now. You got to wait a year and a half. Yeah. I mean, we've certainly been through the perfect storm and 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 we're going to come out. And that's what I'm telling. I'm speaking next week at a conference. It's things have changed. Um, you know, 
engagement has changed. The industry is changing. So, you know, all the smart people in the industry got to get together and go, all right, we got to, we got to do things a little bit differently. So, but on the flip side, there always be, you know, great businesses out there. And I think that's what always gets me excited. So how do people get a hold of you? Uh, I'll give you a phone number. It's the best way to get me. Uh, and, you know, my didn't even know these existed 30 years ago. 914-414-4070. You can also text that number or an email address, wa at aldermanco.com, A-L-D-E-R-M-A-N-C-O.com. So, Bill, thanks for coming on today. Um, always enjoy the conversation and the energy, and it's, it's, always a great, uh, it's always great having you on. So glad to see you doing so well. Thank you. A lot of respect for you, Craig. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.